particularly when you're in the privileged position of working for organizations like Blackstone or Brookfield, you know, big, big, big brands. Everybody wants to work for these companies. They're great organizations and they're well paid. And it's a privilege to work there. So I will say, look, if you're in the team, you know, you really got to put your effort in. And, and if you're not quite up to it, then then maybe go somewhere else. So, you know, it's a bit like football, isn't it? If you want to win the league, you've got to have the best players in your team. So, so it's as simple as that. From Positive Momentum, this is Meet the CEO, a show which takes you behind the scenes of the working lives of people who've reached what some might call the pinnacle of the career ladder. I'm Julian March, a partner at Positive Momentum, and on today's show, we meet Stuart Grant, CEO of ARC Group. ARC stands for Advanced Research Clusters, and it's a network of science and innovation clusters at the leading edge of major knowledge economies. Now, as well as being CEO of ARC Group, Stuart's co-founder of Core Life Investors, an active venture investor, advisor to Brookfield's real estate group, and has more than 20 years of real estate experience. Stuart began his real estate investment career at Blackstone in London in 2000. During his 18 years at Blackstone, he held a variety of senior executive positions. As a senior managing director and member of the Global Investment Committee, he played a key role in building Blackstone's real estate business in the Asia-Pacific region, including overseeing more than $20 billion of investments in Greater China, India, Singapore, Japan, Korea and Australia. Stuart returned to the UK in 2018 as Managing Director of Stanhope PLC to grow one of London's leading developers before joining up with Brookfield to build out the ARC Science and Innovation real estate platform. He sits on the advisory steering group for Harwell Science and Technology Campus and is an independent non-executive director of Hong Kong Land Holdings Limited. He's also on the investment committee for Mithridge Capital and is a non-exec director of Broadwood Capital. He also sits on the leadership council of the Institute of Imagination, a leading children's education charity. Stuart holds a master's in real estate finance and investment from New York University and is a bachelor of science from the University of St. Andrews. So Stuart, it is a great honor to have you on Meet the CEO. Let me just start with the first question we ask all the CEOs that come and join us, which is this, why did you become a CEO? Great. Well, uh, it's a pleasure to be here, Julian, and thanks for inviting me. Um, yeah, that that when listening to the background of my uh, my my bio there, it's uh, it's it's I'm, I'm very proud. I've had a great experiences, and I I don't know don't know how I have enough time in the day to do all these things. But anyway, I manage I manage it. Uh, why did I become a CEO? I think it goes back to um, the very start of my career was in the early my early twenties. I left left St Andrews and joined a large conglomerate in Asia on their fast-track graduate program. And uh, there were five of us hired into a company called Jardine Matheson, which is a large conglomerate in Asia based out of Hong Kong. And it was a very privileged position, but they were basically, it was a, it was a effectively a fast-track leadership training program. And they're, they're, they're a conglomerate, and they want to train up the, the kind of the leaders of the future in their business. So I was very privileged to join that organization. And it gave me um, early access into leadership positions. Um, and they would allow the, this this cohort of young executives the chance to run small businesses, um, have P and L responsibility, have leadership positions, man management responsibility, 
etc. Uh, obviously, initially they they gave us small businesses to run, and then as you kind of grew up, you you got more more exposure. Uh, so I did that for for several years, and then the choice job when I was at Jardines was to work for the chairman of the business as his executive assistant for one year. It was a rotating one year role, so I worked for the the head of uh, Jardines. Uh, in 1996, uh, and I, that gave me a direct insight. I went to every single meeting for one year with the chairman of the business, uh, a guy called Alistair Morrison, and what a privilege I, I sat and 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 I I guess I I tasted the I tasted what it was like to run a large business, and I liked it. I really enjoyed it. I could see you know what makes a good leader, a good CEO. And it was a privilege. So that, that that role was a springboard into being a CEO. So I was 26 and he made me, I think, effectively managing director of a property management business in Hong Kong with 2,000 people and 200 properties. So that was my intro to proper leadership role with large team and a, a large asset base and a P&L that I was personally responsible for. So so it's kind of a bit of a, once you get into that leadership role, it's uh, – and if you're good at it, which I think I'm pretty good at it, um, then you just keep going. So I, I got in early at, at a leadership level, and I've continued doing that the rest of my career. That's an amazing start to uh, the podcast, actually, Stuart. I mean, that is uh, pretty early. I, I'm an alumnus of Sky's leadership development program, and, it, and it, to this day, it remains one of those uh, really important and most formative periods in my career. But the ability to... Uh, to 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 sit in on every single meeting of uh, of the chairman's uh, year, uh, it gives you what an amazing insight. Um, let, let's just move on to our next question. There was something you said which I thought was fascinating because yes, you're right. From uh, such a fulsome uh, profile, uh, it is a wonder quite how you actually fit all of that into your day. So uh, let's just ask, what is it in your day that you actually keep sacrosanct? Well, I think as I've got, I'll be honest, in my Blackstone days, I was there for about 18 years. And certainly the first phase of that, it was all encompassing. I came in at a, a kind of a middle level and it, we, we were building a business in Europe and it was all hours of the day. It was intense and I was newly married and I was coming home at midnight most nights of the week. And uh, it was pretty, pretty hardcore. It probably took its toll on my health and my marriage and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and I think as I, but you got to do that in your earlier years when you've got that energy uh, and you're learning and you're trying to establish yourself. You got to put the hours in and you got to learn. So I'm glad I did it. But I think as I, as you kind of get get on a bit and you have families, etc., you've got to get that balance right. So today, sacrosanct for me is is I tr I try and focus on on my family. Uh, I've, I'm remarried and I've got young kids and I do try and get home and. Uh, and, and and do the bath with them in the evening and 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 you know have family time and uh, and that's really important to me and then and then again I broke my leg two years ago so again that's a reminder for just accident playing tennis and uh, it's a reminder of how important it is to look after one's body so I try to go to the gym three or four times a week and uh, so I'd say health and family are sacrosanct and uh, you know business is business it's great it's great fun it's interesting but at the end of the day when 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 life ends and we all sit there and reflect i think it's uh it's about your family your health and your friends that's the most important thing yeah i, I absolutely um i sincerely hope it was a winning shot which cost you a broken leg as well that, that's a yes. i've never heard of anyone breaking a leg playing tennis. No, a that's ball a rolled over from the neighboring court and i stood on it and that was <laughs> but I, I had a good shot i think 
Well, jolly good. That's good to know. At yeah. Least. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, from 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 MD of a of a property management business at, at twenty six uh, onwards, I mean, you've been operating at this this pretty high level for for a remarkably long time, and and some would probably expect uh, many more years longer than than a lot of others. So, just tell me who who's influenced you most uh, during your CEO career. Yeah, I think I think through my career, there's been a number of people that I'm hugely grateful to for for helping me on my way. And you know, the, you know, from the Jardine era, there's 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 lots of people, but there's you know the Percy Weller, all the names that won't mean anything to you, but Percy Weller, Peter Peter Gray's, Jonathan Pettis of that of that era, and, and then ultimately Alistair Morrison, who was the the, the head of the business. I owe them so much. Um, but then, but I think I think the real the real learnings came at Blackstone. I, I was lucky enough to be the fifth hire in their London office in 2000. I met them in New York when I was at New York University, and they said, "Hey, we're building a business in Europe. Do you want to come over?" And I, and I said, "Well, I've never worked in London. I'm British, but I've worked mainly in Asia." And they, they said, it "Doesn't matter. Come with us." So I went over, and the guy called Chad Pike was the was the and there was also a chap called John Cookrell, but Chad Pike was really the person that put me under his wing, trained me pushed me, drove me, uh, challenged me, uh, and made me learn uh, a different way of thinking. You know, Blackstone is, an, is such an impressive organization, and um, and I, I learned a lot through Chad. He was he was very driven, and it was exciting. We were building this. It was a startup, effectively, in Europe, and we were building it from scratch. So, so I I owe him a lot, and then and then. Another boss, Gary Summers, who was global head of asset management, was kind of a, a different style to Chad, older, more kind of, you know, gray hairs, et cetera. But uh, again, he was very kind to me, put me under his wing. And, you know, I'd have one-on-one chats on small things like how to present to investors or how to think about the negotiations coming up or whatever. So so I think I think for young people kind of building their career, my advice would be try and get a mentor or two and push them for advice. Don't be shy. Ask them. They're, they're generally willing to help. Most people want to see young people succeed. Um, and then today, I I'm now working as an advisor to Brookfield, so I, I really respect them. They've, they've got some great people, and, and it's a very collaborative kind of approach. So when we when we're working on our science and innovation campuses, we're building out. I often work with their their senior executives, Dominic Williamson, Brad Heiler, Rich Powers, and uh, they're 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 very collaborative and open to discussion. Uh, they're 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 willing to listen to me, and I'm willing to listen to them. So, so yeah. So I've I've got um, a very a very kind of privileged kind of upbringing, and now I've got a a nice collaborative relationship with our our main our main advisor. Yeah, very good. Uh, it's interesting how you you, you talk about um, support taking possibly um, sitting on a spectrum, should we say, between real challenge and pushing, but also, uh, you know, something a little softer, but, but particularly that kind of challenge and push is, is actually a form of support, isn't it? Um, to, to sort of drive forward and be your best. Um, so I bet you've, uh, you've, um, put together a few teams in your time and, and, uh, driven and created a few strategies in your time. You certainly had to articulate them to investors, as you just said, uh, what is more important, Stuart, the right strategy or the right team? Yeah, no, I've, I've got experience of this in two, two, two case studies, one in Asia, when we took over Blackstone, took over Merrill Lynch's Asia business. A very large, three billion dollars of assets under management, a distressed fund, Merrill getting getting out of it. This is in two thousand and ten, 
and then me and my colleagues basically took over the management of that that whole business. And we we interviewed about fifty of their people. We took twenty seven of them and then merged them into the Blackstone team in Asia. And this was across different geographies. This is Hong Kong, India, China. Korea and Japan predominantly, and imagine the challenges culturally, culturally by country, but culturally by organization, very different. And uh, so I, I went through that, and I think one of my skills was, lead, you know, helping my fellow partners really drive that forward. And and I think I think to me, the team is the team is strategy is important but i think getting the right team is absolutely critical bill you know being ruthless on who you you know who you hire and who in that in that regard who you keep we had to make some tough decision it was obviously you know that's that's business but it's it's having a, a laser focus on hiring really good talent but also the cultural fit is critical so um so I think we got that right, and we then went from we had a small team of fifteen people, and then suddenly overnight we were like at forty two, forty three people, and then we scaled the business up, and and you know we had a pan Asian team, and I was really focused on making sure that despite these people being in different countries, uh, we had to build this kind of collective cohesive approach. So we had offsites, we got everybody together in different offsites and locations. And we tried to build a common culture. We had a regular regular team meeting every Monday. Everybody in the whole of Asia dialed in. And then, yeah. And then the other example is in the UK, when we were building the science innovation platform, we bought a big campus called Harwell near, Oxford, near south of Oxford. And then we did a 700 million pound deal where we bought a company called Arlington. Again, we merged both of those teams. Not easy. We didn't take everybody from Arlington. We took, we took probably... 60% of their team. But again, we had to integrate those those folks into our team. And we've done that very successfully, rebranded the business. Um, but again, really, really kind of, you know, focus on culture and and uh, making sure that uh, these these people can all get, get on well. So so I, I would obviously, you know, I don't want to underplay the importance of strategy because <clears throat> you absolutely need to have a clear strategy. But once that's agreed, then it's focus getting the team to focus on executing that strategy. So, very um, good. And I think I think the other thing I would just say on teams is, I don't wanna, I don't want to sound cold hearted, but I I think sometimes people tolerate average performance, and particularly when you're in the privileged position of working for organizations like Blackstone or Brookfield, you know, big 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 brands. Everybody wants to work for these companies. They're great organizations and they're well paid. And it's a privilege to work there. So I will say, look, if you're in the team, you know, you really got to put your effort in. And, and if you're not quite up to it, then then maybe go somewhere else. So, you know, it's a bit like football, isn't it? If you want to win the league, you've got to have the best players in your team. So so it's as simple as that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, it's a, it's a, and we'll come to some, um, that's a, I'm going to bank that for a little bit of advice, um, uh, which we'll come to for uh, future CEOs uh, as well. But um Indeed. Let's just fast forward into into your time, you know, your, your your various times as CEO, and I wanted to ask you about the most challenging encounters that you've experienced in your time as CEO, and perhaps in particular you can draw out uh, perhaps one that's been in your in your your eyes the most challenging time for you, and just tell me what you learned from it. Um, I'm just there's a few probably the one the maybe maybe if we go to Asia, 
and that integration with Merrill Lynch, it was very stressful. I must be honest, it was horrifically stressful. We were fly, living in Hong Kong, flying to New York, and then flying around the region, meeting, you know, and it wasn't certain that the deal was going to happen, that we're, we're going to take over, the, take over the fund as well. So it was quite stressful. Um, and there were a lot of balls in the air. Um, and I think, you know, I th I'm just trying to reflect on what, you know, what was the real challenge there. I think, I think it was just, we had to move quite quickly. We had to do the people, people analysis really quickly. We had to have a lot of delicate conversations with our team. Also the investors, the angry investors in the Merrill Lynch fund who that fund hadn't done very well. So they were pretty, they had a lot of money at stake. And they were wanting to make sure the new manager was going to do a good job. So they were they were very carefully watching us. And we didn't know them as well as, um, you know, we didn't know them. We were taking over their funds. So we were a bit new to them. We knew some of the investors, but not all of them. So we had to kind of do investor investor relations work. Um, and then and then the physical, the kind of the technical integration, you know, moving people, shutting down offices, moving people into new offices, sorting out contracts and uh, new remuneration um, programs for executives who were leaving Merrill coming into Blackstone um, blah 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 it was and then and then underneath that we had in that fund that we took over we had 90 investments all over Asia 90 so effectively almost 90 different buildings 90 it was a lot so we had to get up to speed on every single one of those assets and build a business plan for every single one of those assets some were disposed, some were kind of lease up, some were do capex or whatever, but everyone had to have a business plan. And then we had to go about executing a business plan. So so that was really probably, if I reflect back on my career, that was probably one of the toughest couple of years. But because we did it well, and we imp ultimately impressed the investors in that Merrill Fund, we saved a few difficult situations the integration of the team went well. The investors really liked us. And on the back of that, uh, in 2012, we then said, right, now we're ready to raise our own Asia fund. And we went out and raised a $5 billion Asia fund on the back of multiple successes in the region. But one of the reasons was because we had done a good job of managing that Merrill Lynch Asia fund. So. Amazing. So yeah, I would I'd put that I'd put that up there as my main. There's other there's other case studies, but that's probably the one. And, and you ask about what I've learned from that. Um, I think it was a it was a great. It wasn't just me. It was a phenomenal team effort. It was using resources from some of our colleagues in New York. Uh, HR team in New York were very helpful. The asset management team in New York helped us. Um, we had people in London flying in. So again, the learnings are use the resources and organization as effectively as possible. Uh, be open, be communicative, uh, work really hard during the process because you know there's light at the end of the tunnel. And um and 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 in that case be quite ruthless on the on the people that we eventually took into our business. Yeah. Uh well I, I think um it that's that's remarkable, not least uh because of the the scale and the speed of the challenge, I think, which you uh you, you had to address uh, and also it's it's many facets uh, you, you talked about uh, having to move quickly dealing with angry investors some really intense investor relations uh, the technical in integration not least the endless global travel um, 
times 90 uh, for, for all the investments and the, and the individual plans you had to create. So um, actually, that kind of put COVID in perspective, didn't it? And I'm, and I'm not actually that surprised that you didn't mention COVID, um, like many of our guests uh, do uh, on, the, on this uh, podcast. Um, brilliant. Okay, so we, we talked a little bit about, um, about uh, strategy and team, and you've talked a lot around mobilizing the forces uh, at your disposal and um, being pretty ruthless, uh, that's your word, uh, on, on the type of team uh, that you, you pick. Um, let's just uh, dig into that a little bit further. What would you say was the secret uh, for you for an effective executive team? Um, well, look, I'm, I'm really a, a big believer in, because um, my career has been international. I've worked in different, different parts of the world and I've, I've got huge respect for talented individuals from different countries. So I, I think one of the challenges we have in the UK is often you kind of, particularly in the real estate industry, it's, a, it's often this kind of the white British male, middle-class male that, that uh, uh, is across our kind of leadership real estate teams. When I was at Blackstone, I would say they were, it was a more diverse approach. Um, and we would hire the most talented people at a young age out of the best universities. And they, doesn't matter where they're from, you know, I work with, amazing people from Finland, from India, from France, from, from Colombia, wherever, you know, America, it was, it was the truly, uh, it's like, Blackstone's like the United Nations, actually, in terms of the, the, the caliber of the people, Brookfield is similar. So I think uh, that would be one of my, my main things is just having, having a focus on um, a, div a diverse um, leadership team with people from different different cultures, different experiences, and obviously at the skill base levels, it's really important to 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 obsess on hiring the people who are best in their class, in whatever job they're doing. So be it leasing or be it finance or whatever. So we we obviously have done a good job of that in our current platform. And um, yeah, so I'd, I'd say those those would be my observations. Yeah, interesting. Very good. Um, all right, so so let's talk a little bit about um, uh, about Arc and your and your present right now. What are what are the biggest challenges ahead? What does the future look like for you? Okay, so Arc is is stands for Advanced Research Clusters. It's a it's a network of innovation clusters, as as you know, Julian. And uh, we have two very sizable uh, innovation clusters in, in Oxfordshire, and one in Uxbridge and one in Hammersmith. So so we're basically copying a model that happened in America in the mid-90s. So a company called Alexandria and then Biomed started investing in buildings near leading universities and hospitals. Mm -hmm. And both Alexandria and Biomed are the kind of the leaders in the field over in America. And they're of substantial scale. So they're focused on building science and innovation campuses. And they've done it really well over there. So over here uh, in the UK, we said, hey, we should, we should, we should start building our own science innovation network over here and uh, we started three years ago with brookfield and we bought harwell and um and then subsequently we bought arlington and we merged the two teams as i said earlier and we now have this 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 network of, of innovation clusters i think the challenges uh going forward for us are because our business is really successful it's going well but but there are some headwinds and you know and, and one is uh it's quite hard to do new deals at the moment uh, and the first deals we did, we had first mover advantage, and we, I think, we bought very, very wisely. The the entry price was uh, was was cheap, was good, 
the market then subsequently during COVID got really hot. And uh, I think some people have overpaid for sites uh, and we're disciplined investors and we just didn't see the value. So we haven't done a deal. Thank, I'm really glad we haven't done a deal in the last two years because the pricing wasn't there. But I think the market will come back in our favor. And uh, so but one of the challenges is just finding finding the right deal flow that makes sense for our, our return criteria. And then the other headwinds are around construction cost inflation and then the cost of financing. Uh, we're talking about inflation all the time. Interest rates are at a, kind of a really high level and uh, it does make it hard. We have access to capital. We've just sorted out 300 million pounds of new financing at Harwell, but it's expensive debt. So I think uh, I'm hoping in time that will tighten um, and uh, it'll, make, it'll make our business model a bit easier. Um, but those are, those would be the real the real challenges. I think I think uh, we've got a phenomenal business, solid, really happy. Tenant demand is strong. The current supply vacancy situation is really tight in the market. So those dynamics are good. Rents are actually growing. The headwinds are kind of finding finding new deals at the right at the right price. Yeah, interesting. There's a, there's there's quite an interesting um, tension there, isn't there? Really between what you've described as if you like your patience uh, and you know not necessarily jumping on a uh, on a deal at the wrong price and allowing the market to settle um to 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 something which favors you better but um uh, versus uh, for example the construction cost on on a deal which is already in flow and already happening and you're you're hit by inflation whichever which whichever way you look at it um but also there's never been a more important time has there for the UK to uh, to to progress and and become uh, a science and innovation um, global center of excellence, is that? Yeah, no, it's true. The the good news for our our platform is because we bought bought in early to Arlington and Harwell, our land basis is is really attractive. So despite construction costs going up and the cost of financing going up, if you still if you run the financial model the returns that we can achieve are still really attractive. So it means that we will still commit with enthusiasm to build buildings speculatively because we know there's a profit margin in it for us and we believe in uh, the strength of tenant demand. If you sat in our leasing meeting, we go, we target science, life science companies, space companies, uh, energy tech companies, and quantum computing and AI and deep tech. Those are kind of the clusters we focus on, but it, the strength of demand is really, really strong. So, so, so I think I think it's a little bit um, it's clever but fortuitous that we got in early. First mover advantage is is helping us here. Yeah, yeah, and it helps you uh, actually weather any future mini storms which might come along the way. So let's um, let's have a little bit of, um, of of that enthusiasm, that famous Stuart Grant enthusiasm we just talked to when it comes to um, talking to. Uh, uh, many of uh, of the, the the folk that listen to the Meet the CEO podcast aren't necessarily CEOs right now, um, but they might have an aspiration to become a CEO. So, you, you talked a little bit about uh, uh, about some advice um, for future CEOs and want to be CEOs. You talked about finding a mentor uh, before. Um, let's have three more pieces of advice for those who might want to become a CEO. Um. I'll be honest. I think I think part of being a good CEO it comes it will come naturally. I think people that just gravitate to that position because 
maybe at a young age they were showing leadership skills in in their school sports they were leaders of a cricket team or a hockey team or whatever um so i think most leaders are kind of not they naturally evolve into that position there's obviously the ones that aren't natural and they kind of get there over time through their smarts and their their capability but maybe they're a bit uncomfortable actually in that man management type of role but they're technically very strong which is fine so i think i think uh, both can both can work but i think uh, for for those 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 people who are wanting to get there and trying to map out the 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 best way I think studying, I, I always like to study other leaders. You know, it's quite interesting. You can do YouTube's amazing. You just kind of type in, you know, great leaders and you'll just get some amazing videos. So rather than sit there and watch a Netflix movie, you know, watch a watch a kind of documentary yeah. on a great leader. And and if you did I think if you did like twenty or thirty of those over a six month period, you'd learn a you'd learn a lot. It doesn't need to be business leaders, it could be political leaders or sport leaders or whatever. But I think just just doing that, I think will will give you some really interesting. You don't need to go and do an MBA at Harvard to, or elsewhere to to just learn leadership. How to be a good CEO? I think I think you can just do it in your own living room. Very but good. Then, as you're sitting in that middle ranking position, and there's five other middle ranking kind of directors who are kind of like potentially going to be CEO, you need to stand out. You need to make sure the people that ultimately are going to make the decision on who the new CEO will be see you in action and sometimes you might see that decision maker or the the money basically it's the money you might see that person two or three times a year you might have more more exposure to that person but it might only be that the big shareholder comes to a board meeting and you have your five minutes right and it might be three or four times a year so i will say to the people when you have that moment with the big boss, you need to absolutely crush it. You need to nail it because that's your moment. That's your moment to make the impression. You'll do the job for the rest of the year and you have to perform, obviously, but you need to act you need to act like a CEO at those moments. Uh, you need to there's a great Blackstone phrase from our former head of HR to dress for the next job up. So look like a CEO. If you want to be a CEO, look like a CEO. Dress for the dress for the position, and then it kind of it, it kind of feels natural. So, so a few things for you there, Julian. But I could go on. But well, I'm going to ask you to go on just one second because I wanted to <laughs> forgive me. Um, there was something you mentioned earlier about uh, the, the 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 episode that you you had in Hong Kong and you and those early days where you were working extremely hard. Um, there's. There's some interesting stuff going on, I think, in the world of work right now, especially around um, the you know the, the 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 Generation Z and the and the and the you know the the, the talent coming into uh, the world of work right now. Um, let's just have a little. I just want to hear from you about your thoughts on 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 the kind of the balance of the, of of work and life, and if you like to put it in in a in a in a in a in a you know in a property term the investment of 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 hard work at that stage i think there's something there that um i'd like you to just expand on a little bit uh, the, uh, yeah i think it's easier when you're when you're if you're not married the younger age you've got a bit more time in your hands and i think that's where you need to learn you need to do your learning so imagine you you come out of university do your first job and then you change and you're like 25 26 from twenty from twenty six to thirty five, you know, let's let's say twenty five to thirty five. 
it's generally that's the time where you really, really have to learn a lot. You have to just put the hours in and you have to like become a complete expert in your field if you want to then move to the next level. And and to become an expert, you you have to do some reading, studying outside the outside the, the working hours. So the normal working hours. So I I I really you know, I don't, I, I don't want to sound too harsh here, but I think that I think those those young people, it's a competitive game. And uh, I'm in I'm in Britain, right, working with predominantly British executives, so young executives. But the the competition is global. There's smart Indians and Finns and Germans and friends, you know, all wanting to get these jobs in the UK as well. And I, I, I just think you need to put the hours in. You need to graft really hard. Um, to become successful and later yeah. on you can eat off a bit but that 25 to 35 is my goodness it's the it's the moment where you 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 kind of prove yourself and you learn the most yeah yeah absolutely where where that moment where effectively you you kind of play a pretty defining role into those following couple of decades yeah fantastic wow okay so um what have we got uh study other leaders uh, outside uh, your working hours, stand out, dress for the next job up, crush that rare time with the boss and the, the, the pure power of hard graft. There's a lot in there, Stuart, um, and some really great advice for uh, future CEOs. And uh, all that really, really remains for me to say to you is just to thank you very much for uh, such an enlightening conversation and joining us on uh, on meet the ceo great good well i enjoyed it julian thanks very much another rich and revealing conversation with a seasoned international ceo stuart grant it was packed with nourishment for ceos current and future as well as those of you who are just perhaps curious about what it's like to occupy that lonely seat at the top of an organization we heard some new takes on some now familiar themes of the Meet the CEO series, the first being the importance of diversity in teams. Stuart's international background meant he came across top talent from across the globe, and he later mentioned that the competition to get one of these top jobs is totally global. It was clear from our conversation that Stuart's also worked extremely hard along his journey and has benefited from some valuable mentors and the support they've given him in challenging him to drive harder. Allow me though to pick out three real standouts from our conversation which I've heard nowhere else in the series so far. First, that opportunity Stuart had on Jardine's leadership development programme to sit in on every meeting held by the managing director over the course of a year. What a way to learn about the inner workings of a business at the highest level and get a taste for that top job. If you work in talent development, then take note. For the right people, that could make a real difference and be the beginning of an extremely successful senior career. Second, don't tolerate average performance. It's a stark phrase, but Stuart reminds us all that it should be a privilege to work for these big successful organisations and the expectation of high performance should come not just from one's leader, but also from oneself. And third, when it comes to future and aspiring CEOs, I was struck by Stuart's advice to do the homework outside the working hours, studying leaders, swap Netflix for YouTube and seize those opportunities to stand out 
crush that rare time with the big boss, as he said. Lots to chew over for this edition. There are many more episodes already served up on the Meet the CEO buffet for you to peruse, and of course, many more to come. So do subscribe if you haven't already. And of course, we'd love to hear what you think of our endeavours with a rating. I hope it won't be long before you join us again as we meet another CEO. Bye for now.